Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. If you're visiting, we are moving through the book of Mark. Last week, we discussed the Last Supper. We discussed, excuse me, that wasn't last week. Last week, we discussed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I went back two weeks. So now, we're still in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're at the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. So we're going to start with verse 43. We're going to go through verse 52 this morning. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when they came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out again, out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning over your word. Lord, we ask today that you would do your work by the Holy Spirit through the scripture. Lord, help me this morning communicate it in a way that is helpful to everybody hearing. And Lord, I pray that you would open eyes and ears this morning to hear and receive what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, we thank you for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So, last week when we were in the Garden of Gethsemane and we went over the agony that Jesus was in, the intensity of that moment, we were looking at the way that Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father and said, not my will, but yours be done. But in all of that, the agony of that prayer, the agony of that moment, and Jesus ended it by saying, behold, my betrayer is at hand. And that's where we come in today. Immediately, while Jesus is speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. Now remember what happened at the Last Supper. Remember Jesus is at the Last Supper and he says, one of you is going to betray me. They're all confused. <clears throat> They're all asking who is it. Jesus cryptically says a couple things. Uh, of Somebody whose hand was in the dish with me, he's the one that's going to do it. But there's a moment where Judas, in one of the gospel accounts, Jesus looks at Judas and says, what you're going to do, go and do quickly. And it says the disciples were still confused. They had no clue. There was no indication on the outside that Judas was this guy. But he was. So if you think about it, Judas had to go do a lot of things. He had to go get the high priest. 
He had to get some Roman soldiers. We'll talk about that a little bit later. He had to have permission. They dared not arrest Jesus in the daylight. They've got to arrest him at night. Where all things that are wrong like to take place. In the dark. In a way that it's not public. That it's not out in the open. Always deeds in the darkness is the way that darkness prefers to act. And that that is what happened here with Judas. He goes and he gets the chief priest who were looking for a reason to arrest Jesus. And they had been for a while. And keep in mind, let's go back several months to our discussion in the last week of Jesus' life. He's in Jerusalem and you remember what he's doing. He's calling them all kinds of names. He's flipping tables. He's telling them that they're wrong. They hated him for all of this. And now they've got an inside, an insider that's going to let him in. Look at, um, look at verse 44. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. Part of me asked the question, did they not know who Jesus was? Why did they need, why does Judas have to give a sign? I don't know if that crosses your mind, but it's not like this was at Ritter Park where there's street lights and you can tell who everybody is. This is the first century. It is pitch black. The book of John tells us that they approach with torches, but it would have been a really confusing, dark moment. But also there's Roman soldiers here, which we will get to because I think that's important. But the sign that Judas gives is the most perverse, hypocritical moment in human history. Because what what the sign is in verse 45 is, he says, Rabbi, and he kisses him. In the Greek, and it's hard for us in the, in the 21st century to get this, but Back in the day, in the first century, this kiss that he gave Jesus on the cheek was a sign of affection. Slaves kissed the feet of their masters, or washed the feet. Subjects kissed the hands of the rulers, but equals kiss each other on the cheek. Friends, deep, close friends. And the Greek actually says that this is a lavish kiss. This is one of somebody who has great affection. The best way that I can maybe make that make sense for us is, does anybody have with their friends a special handshake or greeting? Now, this may take you back into high school. Did anybody have any like special little dapping up, what is it the kids say these days, whatever the whatever it is, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, and it was your little friend group, and you had this little ritual, and if somebody else from outside your group tried to do that, what would you have done? Like, who do you think you are? This is among, this is the cool kids in the basketball team, nobody else gets to do that. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? This is the, that's the closest thing maybe I can get, that, that Judas has this deep personal connection to Jesus, having walked with him for three years. 
if there is a disturbing case study in church, in the Bible, it is Judas. He watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He was there helping hand out loaves and fishes to the 5,000. He was in the boat when Jesus walked on water. What's he thinking? Anybody ever have this question about Judas? What in the world is going on? And I'm going to tell you today that I don't have a great answer for you. Because Judas is unique. Jesus said it would have been better for him to never have been born. But that the scripture might be fulfilled, he's got a role that he's playing. God didn't make Judas do these things. He wanted to do these things. And it's part of that mystery of God's will and his plan involving crazy things like the betrayal of Judas Iscariot of the Lord Jesus Christ. He kisses him. There's something beyond the kiss, though. It's the description, it's the affectionate call to say, Rabbi, teacher. You didn't get to be a disciple because you wanted to. The rabbis came to you and called you. Judas was brought in by Jesus. He was one of his disciples. And he's calling him by that affectionate term. And what this reminds me of is the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody remember the Sermon on the Mount? If you you want, and I think they'll throw it up on the screen, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. I want us to look at something Jesus said. We're actually in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The phrase, Lord, Lord, is important. Because you didn't call everybody Lord, Lord. It's a Hebrew thing. And anytime you're repeating the name, there is in that the assumption that there's familiarity and there's the assumption that there's relationship. You see that throughout Scripture. And here in the sermon that is probably one of the scariest things that Jesus said, if we're all being honest with ourselves, when Jesus says this, He says the address that people have is, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff? Super duper stuff. Casting out demons, miracles, prophecy. We're we're doing all the stuff. Surely you know who we are and we belong here. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. So there's a there's a paradox that's going on right here. The paradox is Jesus said the only people getting into heaven look at look at verse 21 
are the people who do the will of my Father. Those are the only people getting in. And yet, the people that are trying to get in have a resume of doing the works of the Father. Do you see the, do you see the problem? The paradox is, they are doing good works. And Jesus said, the only way to get in is to do the will of my Father. So what's, what's wrong? Aren't they doing Christian stuff? They are, but they're doing it in such a way that their heart is far away. This is, this is one of those things that is really important. It's really important to understand the difference between people who are going through the motions of being a Christian and people who are Christians. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school about the culture that we've grown up in is Christian. And so the culture understands what a Christian's supposed to look like and sound like and talk like and be like. And yet Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, as if we do have a relationship, is actually in a relationship with me. That's what Jesus is saying. So it's possible to be a good person and to go to church and do great things, even miraculous things. And on the day of judgment, Jesus say, depart from me. Now, if that isn't scary, I don't know what is scary. So we need to talk about it real quick. Because I can tell some of you are like, okay, I hope he bails us out in some capacity in what he's saying. Prophesying, healing, casting out demons, they're all related to the ministry of doing something for the kingdom. But those works are never going to be good enough. In fact, the way Jesus describes these people is he says that they are workers of lawlessness. They're people without law. They don't actually do the will of God, even though it looks like they're doing stuff for the kingdom of God, which tells us that works are never the answer in order for you to look at, am I making it to heaven or not? Even though Jesus said, you must do the will of my Father to get into heaven, you must do it. On the other hand, you can't do enough good things to get to heaven. Do, do you see the problem? But the problem is really very simple. The, 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 the gospel answer is also very simple. That we are saved by faith in Jesus and the works that He did. I can't rely on my works to get there. That's why He says, not everybody saying to me, Lord, Lord, is really one of my children because merely doing works isn't what God is after. What God is after is a changed heart. So now go to Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. And he says this directly to the Pharisees. He says, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's another scary portion of Scripture. It was actually said by the prophet Isaiah, because this is not a new phenomenon. It is not a new phenomenon to have people who say, I am a follower of Jesus, who are actually not. That is not a new phenomenon. Here, Jesus is quoting Isaiah, saying, they're saying the right words, but their heart is somewhere else. They aren't really mine. Their heart belongs to something else. They know culturally that the right thing to do is lift your hands at the right time on Sunday morning, give into the offering at the right time on Sunday morning, say the right words, try to do the right things so that everybody around me knows that I'm doing the right things, but their heart doesn't belong to Christ. Judas is one of these people. He worshipped and served God in vain because his heart was somewhere else. This is the issue for every single one of us in here. We have to have a heart change. We must be born again. We must be born again. Judas illustrates the terrible reality that you can go through the motions without a changed heart. But do not lose hope yet. Do not sit there and be afraid. Oh no, I'm clearly probably like Judas. Because I know when I say this stuff, there is an effect that it has on people that already struggle with doubt. Anybody struggle with doubt? Anybody brave enough to raise your hand? I'll raise my hand. And you start going through this motion of, maybe I don't believe, maybe I don't believe, maybe I don't believe. Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. So I already know that. I know that as I'm preaching it to you, okay? So I want, I want the warning to be clear. Because if you drive off of a cliff, you're going to die. But very few people in here are probably going to drive off of a cliff. But if you did, you wouldn't make it. So I'm trying to warn you that there really is a cliff. But I'm also letting you know that if you follow the speed limit, you're probably not going to drive off of a cliff. And if you stay on roads that don't have dead-end bridges you're probably going to be okay. So I want both things to come across in the sermon today. I'm trying to warn you that there's a cliff, but I'm also trying to tell you that you don't have to sit in fear wondering, oh no, oh no, oh no. I would hesitantly say that if you're worried about it, going, oh no, oh no, oh no, you're probably okay. That's probably normally the case. So we're going to come back to this. I'm not abandoning it. But I'm just, I wanted to acknowledge it at this point in the sermon that I know that some people will feel that. So let's, let's go on to verse 46. Judas is one of these people. His heart doesn't belong to Jesus. He's not there. It's somewhere else. Look at verse 46. They laid hands on him. This whole crowd. They seize him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. It's one of my favorite parts. We did an Easter play. I was Peter. And we know from the book of John 
that it was Peter. And it's interesting because we believe that Peter dictated the book of Mark. That's where this gospel came from. And it's interesting that the way that Mark words it is, but one of those who stood by. Whereas John says, it was Peter. (laughs) There's a really funny meme that says, uh, John, it's John and Peter, and, and John says, hey, I wrote about you in my gospel about the time I walked on water, and, and he's just looking at him, about the time that I was participating in some other ministry, and then John says, about the time that you didn't make it to the tomb one time and everybody else outran you. So it's just, John is letting us know that the guy that cut off the ear is, is Peter. It even tells us the name of the servant, Malchus, and he was the servant of, of Caiaphas, the high priest. It gives us all the details, but Mark just says, somebody standing there drew his sword and cut off his ear. And Mark doesn't record that Jesus picks up the ear and sticks it back on. If I was that guy, if I'm Malchus, I'm like, wait a second. We're arresting this guy who just healed. I remember a preacher saying, you got to think, the ear was pretty gross. It's on the ground. It's probably got dirt. I mean, who knows? Jesus fixed it all. But that would have been a wild moment. Peter cuts off his ear. Do you think he was trying to cut off his ear? Or do you think he was just trying to cut off his head? Just keep that in mind. The apostle Peter was trying to cut the guy's head off. There's a lot more we could say in there. And Jesus tells him, those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword. Peter, listen, this isn't how we're going to do this. Christianity is not a violent, let's get some guns and take over other countries religion. So I'll just insert that in here. But John MacArthur on this, this particular passage, I was listening to him and he pointed out something I thought was really going was be helpful for all of us. What would give Peter the confidence in front of all these soldiers to do what he did? We're going to read out of John's account why, and I thought this was really important, and it helps us get the feel for what's happening in the garden. It's John 18, 1 through 11. Same exact place, but you hear how John's account of it goes. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus Jesus often met with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Let's stop for a second. I've alluded to this several times. Mark just mentions the chief priest's and the temple guard, basically the temple police, the rent-a-cops, basically, that were there among the temple. Because the real force is Rome. They're the occupying presence in Jerusalem. They're the real police that's there. And it says that there was a band of soldiers. In the Greek, the word here for the band of soldiers is a specific unit of men which typically was 600 soldiers. When you watch the depiction of this in The Passion of the Christ and others, it's like 30 soldiers. It wasn't 30. It was hundreds of soldiers. 
And Peter decided that he was man enough to try to cut off somebody's head in front of 600 soldiers, Roman soldiers. Now, what in the world was going through his head? It was he that hot-blooded? You could make the argument that he was. But look at, let's keep reading here in John verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. This is an I this is an I am statement. This is a reflection of when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. This is the tetragrammaton. I am God in the flesh. I am he. And the reason we know that it was something more than just regular words is what happens next. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, sometimes you skip right over that. A lot of times you don't hear anybody pause long enough to consider it. But there's 600 soldiers that are on the ground because he said, I am he. Now, if you were there in that moment, and you're Peter, and you've seen him walk on water, and you've seen him raise Lazarus from the dead, you've seen him walk into the temple, and demons are screaming, what do we have to do with you, thou son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? Demons are afraid of him. He walks on water, he raises the dead, and he just said to a bunch of soldiers, I am he, and they all hit the dirt. Peter was feeling fairly confident that this is going to be like everything else, I'm okay. So let me pull out a sword. We're going to take them. The emotions are clearly high. The moment is clearly tense because at no point in the ministry of Jesus has anything like this ever happened. Peter whips out a sword and wants to cut off a head. But this is not what Jesus has in mind. Verse 7, so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus says, Peter, this isn't the way we're doing this. I have a cup, the wrath of God, for the sin of the world to drink. This is all a part of the plan. Let's go back to Mark, chapter, uh, verse 48. Mark records something here where Jesus points out their cowardice and hypocrisy and how it fulfills Scripture. Jesus said to them, the people coming to arrest him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. I've been here all week. I've been out here in the daylight, surrounded by soldiers and you guys teaching for a week. But 
let the Scripture be fulfilled. And we think that the reference Jesus is making is Zechariah 13.7. You don't have to turn there, but it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. The shepherd is about to be struck. And Jesus has already predicted that the sheep are going to scatter. That none of them are going to be faithful. So look at verse 50. They reach out to grab him. They take him. And verse 50 just anemically just says, And they all left him and fled. Now let's go back to Judas. And let's go back to, oh no, oh no, oh no. Because look at verse 50 really closely. Who fled? Peter, James, the other James, John, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, the disciples. The disciples fled. Andrew. All of them ran. They ran away from Jesus. And the reason I want us to to compare this to Judas is, Judas is betraying Jesus. Judas' heart belongs to something else other than Jesus. As a Christian though, verse 50 is true. We have hymns about it. I'm prone to wander, Lord I feel it. Bind my heart with your fetters. I need your help, Lord to serve you and to follow you. Verse 50 tells me that the Christian experience has moments of failure. The Christian experience has moments where you sin, where you mess up. There is not a soul in this room that doesn't sin. The difference between Judas and Peter is Peter comes back. The difference is he repents The difference is that because he belongs to Jesus, he doesn't stay away from Jesus very long. The hope for every Christian is, 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The hope that you have is not, oh no, oh no, oh no, I'm a Judas. No, when you want to serve the Lord, that is a great indicator that you belong to him. That you are His. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you won't have a verse 50 in your life. Because you will. Every one of us sin. And sometimes we sin and mess up royally. There are Christians who have committed terrible sins. And God has forgiven them. My Warning about the cliff stands. Don't deceive yourself and say, Oh, God's got grace and I'm good. Those are the people I'm worried about. Those are the people I'm warning. Eh, I can do whatever I want. That's, you're in trouble. But if you're a Christian who is grieved of your sin and says, Lord, I need help. Even when you go through periods of doubt, like I don't even know what to think, and you're caught in this weird, dark terrible spot where you feel like you're stretched out and you believe but you don't believe and all these crazy thoughts go through your head 
I've, I've been there. Some of you have been there. That doesn't mean that you don't belong to him. Every one of his disciples fled. Every one of them became martyrs and died for him later. Every last one of these people. Every last one of them. Except for John, who got sent to an island to write a crazy book called Revelation. And he died of old age in a prison island. So he got the easiest one of all of them was John on a prison island by himself. Okay, all the rest of them die. But here they flee. There's hope in that. I think this is Rob, one of Rob's favorite verses, one of mine as well, Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is faithful to watch over his work, his handiwork. And the Bible says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So don't lose hope, don't give up, ask for forgiveness, don't drive off the cliff either. Verse 51, and we're almost done. This is the weird part of Mark. Mark's the only one that records this. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. So you can see what happens. He comes out. He doesn't put on all of his clothes. He's got linen clothes on. The only people that had linen were rich people. So he's young. He's wealthy. He's got linen. He ran out. Either he heard the rumor, because you got to think 600 soldiers with torches and clubs and swords marching would have probably caused some stir. What are they doing? I hear they're getting Jesus of Nazareth. Isn't Judas up in the front? Oh my gosh. So we, this scene, we, it was probably chaotic. We don't know who the guy is. But the point is, he ran away too, whoever he was. And the point is probably meant to say, Jesus was left all alone. Nobody stood by his side. Nobody. It's one of the reasons that in the book of Revelation, I mentioned this last week, is anyone worthy to open the scroll? And heaven fell silent for half an hour because nobody was found worthy to open the scroll. Until the Lamb of God comes out. He is worthy to open the scroll. He's the only one who was qualified to do this. The Son of God. He came to the earth for us. Taking your sin. That's why verse 50, they all fled, was paid for at the cross. All of your failure. All of your sin. You have to repent of it and confess it to Him. But that's... That's it. You don't have to work your way back into God's good graces. God's good graces came to get you while you were a sinner. That's wonderful news. And whoever this young man is, and some people think it's Mark, and it very well may be, it's just the end of this moment to let us know Anybody that was there ran away. Jesus is going to be dead before this day is over. This is past midnight. By 3 p.m. 
this day, Jesus is going to be dead on the cross. But then three days later, he will have risen from the dead. And that's where we're headed soon in the weeks to come. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand up. We're going to be dismissed. Kids, you were awesome. I'd like to point out Eric upstaging everybody in his outfit today. Well done, Eric. Listen, I just want to say again, where we've made this change, appreciate everybody's flexibility. I love it. Uh, we're, we'll just keep growing. Part of the reason we may need some money is to add some chairs. Um, we definitely need to do that. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Um, and uh, don't know where God will take us, but he'll take us and we will go. So, amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you today for your presence. We thank you for what you're doing. God, I thank you for everyone that's here. Lord, I pray specifically for people hearing about Judas and his betrayal and that fear that creeps up. Lord, comfort those hearts. Remind them of verse 50. and Remind them, Lord, of your saving grace. Lord, for those that need the warning, that need to hear there's a cliff out there. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, by virtue of knowing the right words and doing the right deeds, that's not the ticket to heaven. It's saving faith in you. It's repenting of our sin and having a change of heart. God, I pray that the people who need to hear that, they would hear that. Lord, we give you thanks for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before you. We thank you for it, Lord. Be with us this week. Let us shine like a light. Let us be bold. Let us be courageous in the face of a world that is different than it was. But Lord, it's the world that we're in. And we thank you for your anointing and your provision in the midst of this generation. Lord, we give you thanks for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, you're officially dismissed. Remember, there's a sign-up sheet for football foods. Remember, there's an offering back, but basket in the back. Have a wonderful day.